you're listening to episode 53 of Paso Chipotle. I'm your host, Rocio Carvajal, food history writer, cook, and author. And on this podcast, I explore the gastronomic traditions of Mexico and bring together the voices of cooks, authors, and entrepreneurs who build cross-cultural bridges around the world championing Mexican food. To subscribe to my newsletter and find more information about my ebooks and work, please check this episode's notes. And you can help the show by rating, reviewing, and sharing it using your favorite podcast app. It is a very well-known fact that corn is a huge historical and cultural component of the Mexican diet, and to the curious observer, it will quickly become evident that it is also a quintessential aspect of the rites, traditions, and even the origin myths for indigenous tribes in Mexico. But how much do you actually know about the cultivation of corn, its many culinary uses, and its cultural significance? Well, it is easy to overlook the many layers of such an important food, and many of you have sent me requests and questions about all these aspects, so I have decided to take a deeper look, and will do so on many different episodes, exploring some little-known aspects of this huge cultural universe that is corn and our cultural staples. And today's episode features a conversation that I had with Eddie Sandoval, founder and owner of Pinole Blue, which is entirely specialized in the production of a heritage superfood called Pinole. At the heart of this company, there is a deep pride and commitment to bring to a whole new generation of people an ancestral food that fueled the traditions and dreams of Mexican indigenous tribes and is playing a big part in keeping this food tradition alive. I have made it a mission for Paz de Chipotle podcast to be a platform to bring to you the work, stories, and value that amazingly talented people create with their products, books, brands, and businesses that champion Mexico's culinary heritage. And I'm delighted to bring to you the passion and story of Eddie Sandoval. There is a special blog post that accompanies this episode, so just scroll down on your podcast app to get all the links that we will mention on this interview. I leave with you my interview with Eddie Sandoval. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Eddie. Welcome to the show and thank you for being uh, on the podcast and making the time to sit and talk about your amazing project. Thank you, Rocio, for inviting me. Uh, really excited. I love the project and what all you do. So pretty excited to learn more about you and tell you more about our story. Oh, that's lovely. Well, Eddie, I think first we must begin with, with the basics of what pinole is. And I really want to 
just give a little bit of an introduction about the superfood that is pinole. Well, perhaps some of the listeners are familiar with it, but for those who are not, in the ancient Nahuatl word for this food, pinoli, which can be translated literally as toasted corn flour, was part of the indigenous diet. It was consumed in many ways, and I won't go too deep into that at the moment, but it was part of their everyday diet. It was mixed with amaranth seeds, chia, uh, toasted uh, ground broad beans, and even cocoa beans, among other ingredients, but the main remained corn. And it wasn't until the Spanish arrived in what is today Mexico that in the colonial period they introduced sugarcane and cinnamon. These two ingredients were added to pinole, which later became just simply known as pinole. Well, the preparation and consumption of this food really hasn't changed that much, which I think in itself is a remarkable thing. And I find it really exciting that you have carried this tradition, literally repacked it into the 21st century to introduce it to a whole new market, in this case, in the US, and I hope the rest of the world too, very soon. So one of the things I really like to talk about first is your story and the inspiration behind your company. First, the Pinole tradition from Northern Mexico that kickstarted this idea of Pinole Blue. And what does it mean to you as a Mexican-American to continue this tradition? Okay, man, trying to get right to it. Well, a little background, I guess, with me that ties in with the story is my family, both my parents are from Northern Mexico, from the state of Chihuahua. They migrated to the U.S. 35 years ago. So we've been mostly in central U.S. now, um, residing in the state of Kansas. But my dad, growing up, he told me how they would always drink pinole, which is the roasted ground corn, as you mentioned. And he was raised in the indigenous area, mountainous area called the Sierra Tarumara, which is very mountainous. And it's near Copper Canyon, which is called the Barrancas del Cobre in Chihuahua. Just to give you an example, the Copper Canyon is actually three times bigger and steeper than the Grand Canyon. So it's a very rugged, rocky area. And my family, we're from the south part of the canyon. My parents are from the municipio of Valle and Chihuahua. This is also the area where the indigenous Tarumaras reside. The Tarumaras are when the Spanish came, as you mentioned, the Tarumaras were hiding pretty much in the Barrancas del Cobre or in Copper Canyon. And being such rugged area, they weren't really ever able to capture them. And they were known for running. They were Tarumaras even means people of light feet. Uh, the Spanish later changed their name to the Tarumaras. And my family residing from there, my dad mentioned how Growing up, when they were there, whenever they would go grow corn or they would always go get the cows or something, because it was such a remote area. The nearest town for my dad was about an eight-hour horseback ride or 10 hours walking just to get to the nearest town. And they would always carry a little bag with them of pinole. And I think the secret with the pinole is the corn, when you roast it, you take out all the, all the moisture, all the humidity out of the kernel, and then you grind it. So it actually makes the corn flour last a lot longer. And they would just drink it with with water and they would even give it to their warriors and as you mentioned uh, they would use amaranth chia seeds cacao 
which you know they even had a god that was named after the cacao and that's when my father growing up they would always drink it he would even carry one of those big um, it was kind of like a spoon that you'd make out of a kind of like out of a certain tree and whenever you were near a creek you just put a little bit of pinola in there and dip it and dip it with the water of the creek and you would drink it and it would give you energy because corn is a carbohydrate so it's known to keep you kind of full to give you energy my dad was growing up raising it my mom she was raised actually making it for all her brothers who worked out in the fields when my family came to the u.s 35 years ago we're in a very uh, rural area there wasn't a lot of hispanics and growing up we went to mexico twice a year we had to bring back pinole bags of pinole and my dad he liked to drink pinole in the summer when it was really hot outside with just water and he says that to this day nothing helps take his thirst and his hunger away like a big cup of pinole growing up i was in the same shoes we'd always just drink Pinole and I went to college and I couldn't find any pinole here and that's when I noticed not only is there a problem because there's a huge Mexican population in the United States but there's also a lot of American athletes because of a book called Born to Run that talks about the Taromaras about how they drink pinole I wanted to try it and that's where as you mentioned I wanted to bring it back but we use an organic blue corn that is actually grown in Chihuahua and it is USDA organic certified and blue corn is actually a lot healthier for you than even yellow or white corn and that's kind of a background with the pinole and how it all started wow it can get more personal than that deeply rooted into your own family history and traditions it was almost natural for you to think about pinole when when starting your business i just want to pull one thread that you just mentioned which is about corn and the kind of corn that you use because well corn is one of the pillars of the indigenous diet in mexico is one of the first grains to be domesticated thousands of years ago during the Neolithic. Well, one of the things that makes this uh, kind of pinole that you're making so unique is, like you said, the type of corn. That takes me to another thing, that not only you are already using a heritage corn, that is when things begin to get a bit more complex, deliciously interesting, because, you know, we're talking about your business and we're talking about a product, which in this case is pinole, is already culturally significant, to which you are adding, you know, this value of a supreme quality ingredient, the base ingredient that is this Plus, you are adding the other social value to, to your brand and your products by sourcing it from Mexico. Uh, tell us a bit more, how does your supply and production chain work? How do you select and process? Why don't you talk us through this process? So, I live right in the middle of the United States, and we're talking about 800 miles from the border to Mexico. As I mentioned, my family being from Chihuahua and I have all my family who actually works live off agriculture in Mexico. I was able to contact a couple farmers from my family connection, certain region of the part of Chihuahua. And we did some research and I found a broker for corn in Nebraska and he sells a lot of organic corn to some of the biggest chip companies in the United States. And through him, I was able to get the corn brought to the U.S., And it has a little bit of a mix of colors. Sometimes you can even get like a little pink, a little red in there. It's a very pretty kernel. We were able to make these connections and make sure our corn's from that region. 
Speaking about this whole process, all this attention to detail that you just mentioned, the care that you put into this doesn't come from just intuition. It's something that you have studied. You know, it reminds me of previous guests that I have on the show, uh, very young entrepreneurs like yourself. You were still in college, if I am correct, when you began with, with the idea of your company. But one thing I really uh, see with a lot of hope is that pattern that you young kids, you know, are following to being more and more involved in creating a social value alongside with, you know, high quality products, which is really at the heart of your entrepreneurial projects. Why don't you tell us uh, how this idea came to you to make your business since, you know, like I said, you were still in college uh, to make this business model specifically. Uh, so, so, so particularly, you know, based on this heritage food. Yeah. So this one's going to be a loaded question because we have a little bit of everything that affected the idea. I think the first thing I wanted to ask to answer with you on the social value, especially with my generation, have you heard of Tom's shoes? You know, Tom's, the shoes that say on the back, they say Tom's for every pair of shoes you buy, they donate a pair of shoes. So for me personally, I think for my generation, Tom's was one of the biggest revolutions on giving back on the business perspective. I mean, his entire business was, you buy a pair of shoes, we give a pair of shoes. Uh, he even has a book I highly recommend. Um, I think it's called Start Something That Matters. I actually graduated with a finance degree. I was in college at the time. I was actually wanting to go into the corporate field. I thought I was gonna be a financial analyst or I thought I'd work in Wall Street someday. At the same time, I was always very entrepreneurial growing up and I always loved telling people about my family traditions because I grew up, in, grew up being one of the only Hispanics in my small town. My family's from a rural area Chihuahua and I was always bring, telling people oh yeah we drink pinole there's taromadas my family in Mexico makes their own cheese stuff like that I kind of had this idea when it was my senior year it was my last year of college I was struggling to find a job and you know it kind of hits you on what do you want to do with the rest of your life but at the same time my sister was living in the state of Colorado here in the U.S. which has a lot of mountains and it's one of like the most fit and exercising state in the United States and there's a book called Born to Run where an author went down to Chihuahua to study the Tarahumaras and why they were so good at running and how they were drinking pinole. And when this book came out in the U.S., it exploded. Like people were trying to run barefoot like the Tarahumaras and people were trying to drink pinole. I saw a couple food blogs talking about pinole, but you still couldn't find pinole here. Like people were struggling. I remember going to Colorado to see my sister and you and some of the guys were like, oh, yeah, I'd love to try Pinole, this and that. So that's where I saw the problem also with the running community. And as I mentioned, my family, when I moved here to Wichita, where I came to school, Wichita, Kansas, we couldn't find Pinole here either. And there's a very big Hispanic population here. And I saw this as a problem, too. I was like, if there's the Hispanic population, the Mexican population here in the United States, like, uh, people in the city cannot find pinole and the runners can't find pinole. I want to make sure to make it available. So that's where I learned a lot about corn and I found out about the organic blue corn provider. The way it all started, Rocio, is I drove down to the border, to the Chihuahua border, a little border town called Ojinaga, Chihuahua, because my family were not too far from there. And I met my cousin and my cousin drove all the way to the mountains of Chihuahua and brought the organic blue corn from the farmer. He brought back a thousand pounds, uh, 500 kilos 
of blue corn in bags, met me at the border, and I came back to my house, and I started in the garage of my house with a little grinder. Uh, we, were, we bought a bunch of little paper sack bags, like little brown bags, and we were just roasting and grinding the corn with the little molino, the little grinder. We were putting the pinola in the brown bags, and I was just stamping a label. I didn't know what I was doing. I just wanted to test the market, and I went to all the small Hispanic shops um, where the Hispanic shopped, and then I even started posting it on Facebook. I posted on Craigslist, just telling people, hey, we're selling pinola from Mexico. And the Hispanic population looked at me like I was crazy. Like, why is this 22-year-old kid selling pinole out of the trunk of his car? But it exploded. Um, in three months, I sold over 300 pounds of pinole. And at that time, there was a competition at the university I was going to, Wichita State University, for entrepreneurships, for startups. I pitched the crazy idea of starting an organic pinole business. Um, I guess I didn't mention, but... I had a professor that I told this idea about, and she's the one that convinced me to go down to Mexico and just test it. She's the one that told me, Eddie, you have nothing to lose and just try it. So that's how she convinced me and I competed in the competition. But since the day I started, I had finished reading that book I was telling you about, Tom Shoes. And I told myself, and I remembered growing up, every time we went to Chihuahua, I saw the economic resources that the Tarumaras, this indigenous tribe in Chihuahua, was struggling with. And I said, I want to sell pinole, but I want to give a part of my sales back to the Tarumaras because they lack resources from the government. They live in this rural area and people just don't really even pay attention to them. But yet this book goes down there called Born to Run and puts a spotlight on the tribe and people finally are knowing about them. Like they're known for running and, and drinking pinole. So that's where I, I think it's definitely a generational thing. And that's why I wanted to give back since the day I started. And I won the Wichita State New Venture Competition in 2017 when I was in college and I was running this business out of my dorm room. In October of 2017 is when I officially started as a real business is what I call it. I had my commercial kitchen. We started making corn. We had different packaging. We actually had a food license and everything. Here I am now in business about two and a half years later, and we've sold pinole to over 280 stores in 18 different states now here in the U.S. So that's kind of how it all started. But kind of going back to you on the how you were evaluating on the social value, I think a big thing with our generation also is we're starting to realize what we eat now. And another thing is... We've been noticing how these huge food companies are just making all this money and they're not even give us a, giving us a quality product. So, And people are noticing all the diseases and stuff that are happening. I mean, you hear stories about Maseca, the corn that they use, and then you hear big corporations even like Monsanto here in the United States that's one of the biggest genetic modified corn and seed, uh, seed business, but specifically corn. And it's causing a bunch of illness and sickness. I mean, this corn is so bad that we can only feed animals with it and even that is causing diseases to us so yeah i think that's kind of where it all started brilliant i mean it's a whole shift not only from a moral shift to of course being way more aware of the impact of our choices like you like you said no the impact in our bodies in the ecosystem uh the economic and social impact as well and you have just mentioned a bunch of triggers that fed your idea and i guess also kind of um your call 
No? Ultimately, I think uh, you have found uh, something that, that gives you much more and gives back a lot more. And we're going to go back to that in a minute uh, of the ways you are you are trying to, well, create, you know, like a, like a multiplying effect and benefits for those around you. But going back to the Tarahumara people, I just want to mention a few things to put in context. This tribe, the Raramuri or Tarahumara people, like you mentioned, uh, are part of the 68 original indigenous tribes of Mexico who settled in the northwest of Mexico. So like you said, very close to what is today the border with the US. And this tribe developed uh, an independent language and a whole organization. And yes, they are kind of related to other tribes like the Mexica or Aztec, but they precede them by a long run. And sadly, like you also mentioned, in the 16th century, with the advent of the Spanish conquistadors, the Tarahumara suffered a great deal with this because they were displaced and also many just fled to the mountains to escape uh, violence and enslavement. And this physical isolation, like you said, require them to become, by need rather than choice, runners, uh, because they had to cover huge distances to trade uh, with other communities. But that also became, uh, through the past of the centuries, a way of life. And the reason why I'm putting all this information out there is just to give some context to something that you just mentioned at the core of your way of linking the running tradition in Mexico plus the new passion in America for running, in this case for leisure and health purposes as a sport. But ultimately, it's a very unusual and amazing connection. Well, you took that as an opportunity to have Blue Pinole, your company, to sponsor very special athletes. And I want the audience to know about one of your partners uh, who is uh, ultramarathon champion Lorena Ramirez. I don't want to spoil the surprise. So please tell the audience who is Lorena and how you two came to work together. Yeah. Uh, so Lorena Ramirez is uh, Taromara, who is actually from near Huachochi, Chihuahua. And my family is from Bayesa, which is the municipality right next to Huachochi. She started growing a lot of fame because her brother and her dad were really good runners. They had won a couple of the ultra marathoners in Chihuahua, and she started competing even in the local races. But where she really gained spotlight is when she won one of the marathons or ultra marathons in Mexico City. And this put a huge spotlight. She doesn't even speak Spanish. And second of all, she runs in a dress with sandals and mostly just drinks water or pinole. She doesn't have headphones. She doesn't even have tennis shoes, nothing. She has won all over the world. She's gone to Canada. She's gone to Japan. She went to run the blue stem in the mountains in Spain, and she took third place out of her division. So this is just phenomenal. And well, I guess giving a little background is my family being from the same area. My dad knows almost the full Tarumara language. My dad even wore sandals like that. Growing up, my dad always told me about them. My dad would even tell me some words like, Cuida tu we is hi, how are you? Tortilla remeque. It was just very unique in how the running abilities in. They have this tradition where they run with a wooden ball, almost like the one the Aztecs would play with. And they kick it around and they get in groups and they make these huge loops. We're talking 50 to 75 kilometer races. It's a time where they all get together and they even gamble against each other and bet against each other. And it's where communities come and compete against each other. But for them, it's a very special 
spiritual thing. And it's very big right before they actually plant the new corn harvest. Uh, they do a big one and then they do another one again after the harvest. Pinole is known for what they're drinking. I mean, you go to these races and you see a lot of the elder ladies, they have little bags of pinole and just grab some a scoop of pinole with some water and they go and they just keep running. So my connection with Lorena is because my family were so close to the same area where she's from, I got in contact with some people that worked at the, some of the, as like the event coordinator for the county. And she told me there's going to be a big race uh, in Huachochi and Lorena Ramirez is going to come. And this is the first time we're actually going to kind of open it to the public where everyone can cause, cause normally it's very secluded. It's only the Taramaras that go and we got invited and it was incredible because this race is going on. We took a drone with my business partner and we took drones drone shots and they're running with the ball. I think Lorena right now is starting a huge movement because as you know, like that movie that came out called Roma that talks about the indigenous women in Mexico City. And now there's a big movement with indigenous women coming out and showing their abilities and what all they can do. And this is huge for indigenous women to come out, especially Taromara. She doesn't even speak Spanish. I mean, I have to always translate with her brother or her dad. Uh, and now on Netflix, there's even a documentary about her. It's called Lorena, the Ultra Foot Woman. I've actually sponsored Lorena, not particularly just for races. We just try to send money whenever she's going to other events. Her brother, her dad, and her were trying to get a U.S. visa to start competing here. And I helped with get some race coordinators. And I even got some immigration lawyers to help out. And we helped visa sponsors. So we plan to bring her to the U.S. now to start competing. Wow, it's uh, such a journey for you and for her and the whole community. And it's very exciting. What we are listening right now from you is the beginning of a movement that we don't really know how it's going to develop and the impact it's going to have. I love that you mentioned this other phenomenon that was triggered by Roma uh, and Alfonso Cuarón's approach and care to have a place for this character in, in his life and, and and give her a face and a name and, and dignity. And, and obviously, well, that's a, an artwork because it's a film, but you are pretty much doing the same with an actual person and an actual community and you are touching lives and transforming the opportunities of a family and really the cultural impact and significance that that is having right now for other indigenous women to be inspired and feel empowered is going to lead to really positive things. So I just want to say thank you on behalf of everyone. <laughs> thank you for reaching out and helping us share the story. And I'm going to put up the link for that Netflix documentary. I want to go back to the aspect of running itself and you've mentioned already you know how physically you can tell and you feel the boost of energy that Pinole gives you and also of course for these athletes that use Pinole for their everyday lives and also for this special and culturally significant uh, runs and other you know uh, events such as the, the ball game and all that that you mentioned and of course you running a business and like you said you had to go through the whole process from making pinole in your dorm to uh, getting all the permits and educating yourself about food preparation and production 
which was the process to start focusing more and more about using Pinole as a high-performance product to enhance the nutrition, the performance for non-professional athletes, for anyone who enjoys sports activities. I mean, you could sell it just by carrying this legacy of maybe the nostalgia, but you're not. You are sort of expanding or trying out some other products, uh, like uh, pink tortillas that I saw uh, you were making, especially for another very um, noble cause, which was uh, raising awareness and raising funds to fight breast cancer. Tell us how your range of products is evolving, but also this uh, high-performance nutrition that's behind, you know, like the science behind uh, Blue Pinole. Uh, I studied, as you mentioned, business finance. I was a numbers guy. It's funny, when I was first starting with Pinole, I thought the nutrition label, like what goes on the back to tell you, you know, what's in it. I was just like, oh, I'm just going to look up what's in corn, what's in sugar, and I'm just going to add it up and boom. And I, I made it on Excel, <laughs> just put a sticker on the back of the packet. But no, I found out it's not like that. Um, I've actually had to have a lot of help. All our products have actually been sent to a laboratory here in state in Kansas. We have a food laboratory where they test exactly what's in it. They tell you the exact nutrition per serving. But because we have a variety of different dry mixes of pinones, we have the original that's just a dry mix, just the roasted ground corn. And then we have two protein mixes, organic blue corn that's been ground or roasted. And we had organic cane sugar, organic cinnamon, and brown rice protein powder that it's organic as well. And then we have the chocolate protein one that has the same ingredients that we have, cacao powder, but we make sure it's organic. And then we have our famous atole mix, which has the same organic cane sugar, organic allspice and organic cinnamon and the organic roasted ground corn. But one thing I wanted to do since the day I started is make sure everything was organic, was certified, is vegan and gluten-free. As you know, now we wanted to make sure this product was available to everyone. Surprisingly, I have met some people that are allergic to corn. Those people, unfortunately, I will not be able to help. But that's been a big one for us. I always wanted to make sure the ingredients were clean. We wanted to get it tested. But then people asked me how I developed the protein mixes. And I talked to a lot of runners, what they were looking for, what they drink. And we were always looking at the competition, what was out there on the market, because there's a lot of, you know, goos and the dried the drink mixes that runners drink and they're running. So one thing we found out is that runners always want two for one ratios. So they want twice the carbs to protein. Our products are definitely made more for endurance athletes or people that are running at least 15 kilometers to the 130 kilometer races. So they're looking more at the carbs. They want to make sure it keeps them going. I did some research and talked to people and they were telling me how they don't like whey protein or even pea protein because sometimes it would upset their stomach. I did a lot of research and I found out that brown rice is actually one of the most easily digestible foods out there so that's why we started using brown rice protein powder cinnamon i mean is a very traditional spice that has to go with pinole and almost every pinole and also the runners love it because cinnamon is an anti-inflammatory ingredient so it helps them with that and cane sugar we just wanted to find a sweetener that was you know just added some flavor make it healthy and i know a lot of people are against sugar but we just wanted to add organic cane sugar because that's at the same time, we want to promote health, not only because it's for runners, 
but we wanted to make a product for everyone, for their everyday. And as you know, Rocio, with the Mexican population, diabetes is, affects so many people because we put so much processed sugar and processed stuff in food now that it's affecting even kids. I mean, Mexico has the number one child obesity. We wanted to make traditional foods, but in a healthier alternative. So we always tell people, look, our atole mix, I understand it's not as sweet. Like you go grab a box of chocolate abuelita because chocolate abuelita has 45 grams of sugar per serving. Our atole mix only has seven grams of sugar. So try to just get the best nutrition possible from our ingredients to the end customer. And then tying in with the pink tortillas, it was kind of a fun project because I, I guess I mentioned I had the I own Pinot Le Bleu and we started a tortilla factory a year ago. Uh, we actually make tortillas of Nistamar. We actually cook the corn with hydrate lime and then we stone grind it and then we put it through the machine. Um, this is a process known since the time of the Aztecs, Nistamalization. And I'm one of the only ones in the whole state of Kansas that actually does this traditional method. Talking to our corn supplier, our corn broker in Nebraska, he was telling me that they were starting to grow organic pink corn up there as well. I thought, well, this could be good to support even local corn producers. We just wanted to give something different, just something to get our name out there. And I was like, the pink tortillas, breast cancer awareness, and this promotes health because there's so many tortillas out there now that are processed. They have so many chemicals. They're starting to even bleach the flour. And you don't see them as much in Mexico, but here in the United States, you see these tortillas in a plastic bag and they sit on the shelf for months and nothing happens to them because they have so many preservatives and chemicals in them. And that's not what a tortilla should have. And they're even linking it now that that's starting to cause a lot of diseases. So we thought this was perfect for the breast cancer. We were going to promote health. It was going to empower women. We're already empowering Lorena Ramirez with the whole women movement. We launched that. And at first people thought it was weird. They thought our tortillas almost looked like salami or bologna because there was bright pink tortilla. But thanks to Instagram and the social media influencers, and we even talked, we got to meet a lot of cool breast cancer survivors and they love what we were doing, the movement. We had restaurants selling pink tacos the whole month of October. Here in the United States, uh, October is Breast Cancer Awareness. And it was fun. Uh, people really respected our brand. They loved it. And we donated 10% of all our sales to Susan G. Komen Foundation, which is the biggest breast cancer foundation here in the united states we got to partner with our local chapter we even went and supported the five kilometer walk that they have i think it just really tied in with our type of business of giving back promoting health so that's why we do that we've been trying to do that in different ways as well like we'd like to go donate a tole made with our pinole to show people the difference uh we made tamales for the holiday season and we we're promoting how we can have even vegan masa which is the dough made from tamales and showing people how blue corn is healthier for you so for our future for research and development we're always trying to tie in something related to us of giving back, promoting health. We have the four mixes and we even have peanut butter cookies. They have peanut butter, agave, oats, chia seeds, and our protein mix. So it's 100% vegan. Uh, we also have, have been selling a Mexican like wedding cookie. We call them azulitas. It's kind of like a polvoron. And we make those vegan as well. They're gluten-free. Uh, we use a mix of gluten-free flour and we also make them with coconut oil. Uh, Growing up, my mom would always make these cookies from corn, from pinole, and we called, uh, in, in the region where we're from, we call them coricos. It's very popular in northern Mexico. Uh, one story I'd love to give, I think it's good for you to hear, Rocio. Sorry, I'm kind of mumbling on, but is I have a little, there's a little girl here. The grandma and the little girl come buy tortillas every Friday, and the little girl was detected that she had a corn allergy. She could not eat any corn. 
the grandma brought her daughter to, because she was buying tortillas. And I was like, hey, like, I'm going to give you a pack of our organic blue corn tortillas. Give a little bit to their, see if it happens. Because a lot of this corn allergy has been having because a lot of corn's genetically modified. This one's not. It comes from Mexico. See what you think. That little girl, five years old, she's, she's adorable. She comes every Friday with her grandma to buy tortillas because our organic blue tortillas is the only corn tortilla she's ever been able to eat in her life. When you see her, it just <laughs> it really warms your heart. So I love that story. Thank you for sharing it. And my gosh, I thought that, you know, you were expanding your portfolio of products little by little, but you are just going for everything, which I love because like you said, corn is such a generous and uh, versatile ingredient. The possibilities are infinite. And you're pretty much just replicating traditional recipes with a very, very clever twist of just, like you said, making it healthier, well, much more better option for people who, like you said, you know, maybe have allergies or have some intolerances. One thing that I want to go back to is that you mentioned how much you have reached to your consumers and the runners and the high-performance athletes and also for everyday people. And I want to say a few things about this uh, Latino market that probably might be your first consumers apart from, obviously, your extended market. So first, the rise of popularity of food tourism and heritage cuisines and like TV food shows and all that, I think have contributed to creating a shift in the way we view and even, you know, get the chance to experience and tailor our trips to have these encounters with cuisines and cultures, you know, not too long ago. And I'm sure your parents mentioned many stories to you growing up that the cultural practices of the white uh, Latino and Mexican-American communities in America were subject to cliches, to discrimination, sort of pointed out, kind of segregated. Well, I really don't know what it was like uh, for you, know, your experience growing up in Kansas. You just mentioned that you were part of, of a very tight, neat Mexican-American community. But I'm curious to know from your customers, to whom you have clearly reached uh, time and time again, uh, what has been the impact and response of uh, your products? First, you, you sort of mentioned already, you know, that they were a bit curious and first a bit probably amused and bemused. So what has the reaction been and the feedback from them to you? Mm -hmm. um, I think I think you were spot on. You, you mentioned how because of cooking channels, and I think social media too has been a big one of showing people the different varieties of food. But to give you a background with me is, yes, I, I grew up in a small town that was very rural. My family was the only Hispanic family growing up, 99% white Americans. And then Eddie, the one thing about Kansas and most of the center of the United States is that people are very nice here compared to other stories that you hear. I think it helped me with my pride of, since I'm the only one, I want to keep this tradition. I, I like, but then I moved to a bigger city in Kansas. We do have a big his, uh, Hispanic population. We Kansas actually has counties or municipalities where white Americans are the minority and Mexican Hispanics are the majority. Just to give you a perspective, Uh, I mean, it's definitely not California or Texas, but there is a lot of Hispanics. And one thing I've noticed with Kansas is just with the food, we're a little behind the middle part of the United States. I think it still has a mix of more like Tex-Mex type me Mexican food. So Mexicans had to make their own 
food with the resources they have. I think now that the Hispanic population is growing so big and the Americans are getting so involved, I honestly think the Pinole Blue is at the perfect timing. I mean, we're starting to do a food revolution of making healthier food alternatives. Also, Mexican food right now is huge. As you know, with the gastronomy, some of the best James Beard Awards has been over to Mexicans. Tacos now is probably one of the most common foods in the United States. And tortillas now sells more than bread. Salsa sells more than ketchup. So yeah, it's, it's a big movement. So I think this is perfect where people, especially the young generations, getting very interested. A lot of them are studying abroad, learning different cultures. So when we first started, I was hitting mostly the Hispanic population. And now we've been really causing such a trend that we're about 80% Hispanic and 20% of the Caucasian Americans. But we've done a lot of stuff that has helped educate the crowd about it, including the Hispanics, because most of the Hispanics here in Kansas, as you know, with Mexico being such a big country, different regions has way different types of food. Uh, Kansas has mostly a lot of northern Mexicans where, believe it or not, blue corn isn't as popular, uh, even though they grow blue corn in Chihuahua. It's ironic. Uh, blue corn is definitely popular in South and Central Mexico. You go to Mexico City, Puebla, that's where you start seeing more blue corn tortillas, the blue corn masa for huaraches, sopes. So when we first started with the blue tortillas and even blue pinoles, a lot of the northern Mexicans were like, why is this blue? And we kind of took a hit. We had to take an educational part and telling them, hey, blue corn's healthier for you. It comes from Mexico. It costs a little more because I have to import it. I have to make it. I have to package it. And I think they finally understand that. And at the same time, since they know it's Mexican corn, they love that connection they have. They're like, wow, this I can taste the quality. It reminds me of home. And the thing with also pinole is I call it an old timer thing, meaning mostly the old generation is the one that was consuming pinole because a lot of people started moving to the cities and it was more known for the rural areas, you know? So we took a dip. I mean, we're, we're having to rebrand and show people about this and showing even Americans like here in the United States, we have the worst image for corn possible because corn is almost all is genetically modified and it's just made to feed animals and you don't even eat corn. So we had to teach Americans like, no, there's good corn. We had to teach people with allergies like, no, this is good for you doing the videos, teaching about it. And the biggest thing is sampling. We've done so many samples of just giving atole with milk, giving atole with water, just giving it to people. I've donated it even to the police departments, to construction crews, just to teach people what it is. And for the American market, when we first started, since atole isn't very popular here in the US, so as you know, atole is roasted ground corn when you add the spices like cinnamon, sugar, cacao. And the Aztecs would drink it with warm water, but when the Spanish came, they, that's when they started adding milk. And that's our modern day atole, the, modern, the milk with the spices and just warm and filling. One thing I had to do for the American market is not make it a stick, not as porridgey. It's almost like horchata, which is the rice water, but with corn instead of rice. So when we first made our atole blend, we're like, what the heck are we going to call this thing? So Americans are more intrigued to it and they like it. And one thing that we've done really well is now on making atole lattes a trend. We have coffee shops now that will steam the milk, add the atole to it and add the warm milk and then they'll add a shot of espresso and it's delicious. Like, like who would have thought, you know, not only you get the energy and the caffeine from the coffee, then you're getting the corn, which kind of keeps you full and the corn is giving the complex carbs. So it's just like protein shake times two when you're drinking an atole latte. And now we have coffee shops all over. We got coffee shops in Chicago, LA. Uh, we got a coffee shop in Tucson, Arizona that says their pinole latte is one of their top selling drinks right now. The trend now with Mexican food products or even worldwide products is getting huge. I mean, 10 years ago, no one really knew what a chai tea was or Mexican coffee or Mexican chocolate for one. So 
I think we're trying to get on board. Uh, the horchata latte became such a big thing. Even Starbucks released it. So that's where I was just like, why is there not an atole latte? Atole is even more traditional. And the th- thing with our products is we have the whole runner's market, the athletes that want to know, you know, want the protein, the bites. We have the Hispanic population, which wants the traditional just pinole and atole mix. And then we have the people that are, you know, like just the healthy consumer that wants something different, something organic. So we have quite a blend, three d- different types of markets. It's the way it is. And we balance it very well and people really love it and that's why on our social media you'll see from running to someone drinking atole with their grandma but it's just the way our brand works yeah i had no idea it was so complex like you said the outreach but you are absolutely right i mean it taps into many different needs and many different tastes That's exactly how I stumbled upon your company as we were talking before we started the interview. It kept coming up on my feed on Instagram time and time again, this mesmerizing atole latte. And I was like, what the hell is this? And it's like pinole? Like, I need to know about this like now. <laughs> no, I totally see, you know, how, of course, challenging it is to be catering for such different audiences. But I mean, it's clearly a, a winning combination for you, even if it makes you work uh, three times a, as hard. And I want to carry on talking a little bit more about, uh, as, of course, your business grows you grow with it you started so young and you're also growing and maturing with your business and one aspect that i really admire of your business uh, which probably is not the normal way to start and it's very idealistic and very noble and of course you're very young so that touched on your sensibility generate value by giving which sounds slightly counterintuitive to classical business approaches the way you are giving back and touches many areas you know from joining or starting campaigns uh, to fundraise for breast cancer awareness to literally sending money to communities in Mexico that are in need and specifically the Tarahumara people with whom you clearly have this deep connection. Just to put in context that for the audience, uh, between 2017 and 2018, Mexico's ranking in the United Nations Human Development Index actually took a big hit and went back 17 positions. That is absolutely shameful. There's no excuse for that, really, because that placed Mexico at number 76 below countries like Cuba and Bosnia. I have no words. I mean, we are such a wealthy nation. And of course, one of the main problems we have is the distribution of that wealth and, and the entrenched corruption that's in our government. But Okay, well, what that translates to is that this inequality and lack of access to education, gender violence, lack of opportunities have just worsened in areas where life was already difficult. And that specifically is rural areas where larger indigenous populations live. And the people from the Tarahumara Sierra specifically have suffered literally for hundreds of years of chronic poverty on top of everything else. So I think it's really important for people to know what you personally are doing, trying to find ways not to help and give back to this community, which obviously is incredibly resilient and proud and willing to fight um, when we are faced with these stories, we literally like reach for our pockets, like here, here, what can I give? You know, like, but obviously, you know, if you run a business and, and you start getting more and more involved with things like corporate social responsibility, 
and you find you know ways to to make your contributions a bit you know to have more impact with that obviously it will change and it will expand and and it will become uh, a different relationship with those that you are trying to help so uh, why don't you uh share with the audience uh, this personal journey for you to be engaged and give back to this community and how you are shifting or shaping the values of corporate social responsibility for Pinole Blue? Well, I know when I talk about it, I make it sound very easy. It is very hard. Even if when you watch that Netflix documentary with Lorena, you will see it is a community that has always lacked a lot of resources, that the government and even the public has always gave them a lot of promises and they just have never received it. It's it's really, it's a very hard, tough community to reach out to. My family, we've always kind of been around them. We've seen them and, you know, some of my family sometimes has hire them and we make sure to pay them well and try to give them food and see what we can do. For me, uh, kind of like I mentioned, growing up and seeing what they're in. I've also, as I became older, I've learned more about their difficulties. The first one is racism. I mean, they're already indigenous, so they're already seen below most people in Mexico. Some even don't even speak Spanish, so that could be a struggle. Another big one that I think has to do, that affects them a lot is just the geographical area that they're in. Chihuahua is mostly just the desert and the other part is just straight mountains. Uh, it's beautiful, but the area is just very rugged and rural. But this is also the area, one of the areas that grows the most drugs in the entire country of Mexico. This area that I'm talking about is called the Golden Triangle, the Triangle Dorado, which surrounds Chihuahua, Sinaloa, and Durango. They're mostly in this area. This is the heart of the mountainous area, the Copper Canyon. You can look it up. It's a very rugged area. So one, you got drug dealers or the narcos, as we call them, trying to, a lot of them are getting tortured or kidnapped trying to steal their land because they want to grow drugs. Another that thing has been the environment. Uh, there's been some really tough droughts in Chihuahua. The reason it affects them so much is they rely on the food that they grow. That's their income. Like one bad year, you're going to be hungry. And that has caused a lot of issues lately. And then the other thing is just the lack of resources. The government will come in like when the re-elections come and they'll give them blankets, they'll give them food and everything. And then as soon as the re-elections are over, boom, they just forget about them. They just wanted to vote. As you know, with corruption in Mexico, that is very common. They have this running ability. They're hard workers. They're human. Like I think we need to not forget about them. And then, as I mentioned with these books and some of these running companies, there's even sandal companies that got their ideas from sandals because of the taromaras. Because the taromaras, they make shoes from tires. They will cut them out and make, make it with leather. And they will run with that and drink pinole because that's their only resource. My goal is not really just to put them on the map. My goal is to try to get back, try to get them to live a comfortable lifestyle. Like as most humans, that's what we want. It's been very hard to try to reach out to them and try to partner with organizations. And it's a very dangerous area, even for normal civilians because of the drug violence. But I've been very fortunate. I met a lot of incredible people that like to help. And I think so far we're doing well. I'm going to be honest, I haven't been able to donate that much money because as beautiful as my business may look on social media, we haven't grown that big in sales you know over here we're trying to educate people about it trying to get in 
stores and we had to go through all those hardships you know and then we had to find a way to send the money back and get it so um it's very tough i think the biggest one is is us building that relation we've already gone down there we talked about the relation with lorena they were they saw us shooting the shots with the drones i mean they loved it they even like try to get together and try to take pictures and my family you know being in that area that gives me a biggest advantage than a lot of these corporations i even have uh, some family members that are teachers that have had to learn how to speak Taramanas because they teach for them. And I have family members that are in the medical field. They go up to the mountains in Chihuahua and have to attend the Taramana. So I think it's just trying to get that trust. It's very, very hard and it's hard to tell people about it. I think we just need to find a way to be able to give to them without them feeling like we're going to take advantage of them. When you're buying a bag of pinole for me, like to me, I don't really care how many bags of pinole so to me it's how many people i told the story how many people i was able to give this ingredient to to live a healthier lifestyle and to also show these big corporations that we don't need for all this processed food we can have a quality product so the day my, you see my pinole sitting next to chocolate abuelita in every supermarket that's the day i will feel accomplished not on how much money i made very inspiring well it doesn't sound easy comes with a bit risk and a, and a big cost. Seldom on this show I turn to politics or talk about, you know, this very complex reality that Mexico has because, well, in one hand there's already a lot of that on the news and amplifying that might not bring the best results. However, we can't ignore that and we can't romanticize, you know, the idea of a nation reaching traditions and culture and everything's fine. And I mean, that that's only half of the story. Just saying, oh, we're socially responsible. Well, yes. What does that mean? It means all of what you said. It means even taking big risks just to help. And I thank you for doing that. And also, I think it's ultimately not as important as you say, the amount of money that you've been given, but building the trust and also just as important, raising awareness and letting people and your customers know that their purchase is having an impact on the other side of the wall is ultimately what makes a difference. So again, Thank you. Thank you for your work. Changing a little bit the subject to a, a lighter aspect of it. Like you said, it's been a long process of educating people first about the corn traditions of Mexico, about the specific varieties of corns that you work with, the products that you are creating specifically. And, and I love the fact that you are riding the wave of the new focus and attention that's around Mexican food specifically in the US. And of course, you know, you're making the most of it. Whether that uh, will cause for pinole to become a world-consumed food, that I really don't know. Hopefully it has all the right elements to do so, but in the meantime, it's a steady process, I think, and you're doing just the right steps to get on board that. Well, just to amplify and, and let people know more about the health benefits of consuming pinole, since you have studied a lot about that and had to become a little bit of a nutritionist by force and need. <laughs> Why don't you tell us some more of the benefits uh, of consuming uh, pinole in different ways? So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. So... First of all, I'm not, as I mentioned, I'm not a nutritionist and I'm by far not a chef. So <laughs> but somehow the stuff I do make people have liked. So as I mentioned with our products, I mean, our products are really for everyone. 
But we have kind of broken down how the pinole, the, the original, because it's just the ground corn. We sell it like that. So if people want to prepare it themselves or people that are diabetic, they can add their own sugar or sweetener or whatever they want to do. And then we have the tole mix, which has the cinnamon, the sugar. You add warm milk to it. You can literally microwave a cup of milk, add two tablespoons, and it's ready to go. Put a shot of espresso in there if you want to get the day going. And then we also have the two protein mixes. Uh, we definitely intend stuff for people who do exercise or, or you know, are going to burn off the calories and the carbohydrates. You're a mom. You got to take care of the kids. You got to go to work. You go work out. Then I think pinole is, is just the perfect blend that, that you can have during the day. The tole mix or the pinole you can just have every day. The protein mixes is more like for a shake or a smoothie. If you just want to drink it with water or milk after your workout. 18 grams of protein, 36 grams of carbs. And then we have the peanut butter bites, which are really good. Um, most of that sweet sugar is actually coming from agave nectar. It's a newer natural sweetener. And then the sasulitas, I will admit, is more of like a dessert, just a casual cookie. So one thing cool about our, our business, Rocio, is the different products people are made with our pinole. I mean, we ship pinole to restaurants, to bakeries and stuff. I got a bakery in LA making pinole cookies uh there was a guy making pinole waffles uh in colorado we got another guy making pancakes with the pinole one thing cool about our business is we try to share a lot of the recipes and you can follow on our instagram we also don't hide anything like we even show you how to make the peanut butter bites on our instagram using our products we show you how to make smoothies the pancakes are on there we even have a video for coffee shops so they can see how to make the tole lattes. We even have a Mexican ice cream shop here in Wichita that made pinole ice cream. And it is freaking delicious. It tastes almost like dulce de leche without the caramel. It's amazing. It's very, very fun to see what people can do. But for me, I've turned to where I really like the tole. I live in Kansas where it's, it gets pretty cold for four months out of the year. So you have to drink a tole. And I'm not a big coffee drinker. So I love just warming up unsweetened vanilla almond milk and then just add the tole mix. And that's just perfect. That's my everyday get go. I even bought a milk frother. I just put it in there. It's awesome. We're in 2020. Everyone's on the go. Everyone's working. So it's just perfect. And that's why I think coffee shops like it too. Because, you know, you don't have to do it the traditional way. Like your my, my mom and my grandma used to make it. Boil the milk. You add the pinole. You add the cinnamon. You have to grind the cinnamon. Add the sugar. And it just took forever. This one's so easy that even Eddie Sandoval can make it. So I think you can make it too. So, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I love that. I love that. But you just don't sweat it and go for it. And uh, okay, people don't know this, but we are recording on a Monday evening and we've been working all day and we're tired and I'm seriously hungry and craving for some atole or some cookies or anything made with pinole right now. But um. Yes, I've seen loads of those uh, recipes that you repost, uh, those on your website as well. So we will make sure to put up uh, some on, on these episodes blog post. And of course, when this uh, interview airs, I'm going to be uh, sharing on Instagram. Well, just we're pretty much finishing now the interview. And just to close on, I wanted to go back to uh, some of the other inspiration uh, that you had that kick-started the idea of your business, which was the whole thing of running, when it coincided not with the launch of this book that you mentioned by Christopher McDougall. 
Born to Run, a hidden tribe, super athletes, and the greatest race the world has never seen. So I'm going to put up a link for that. And I will also like to include a link for the book that you mentioned. Can you remind me again of the title? It starts something that matters. It's with the founder of Tom Shoe. His name is Blake Mikowski, I believe. We all need some good inspiration to get us going and <laughs> point us to the right direction. So that sounds like an amazing read. Well, Eddie, thank you again so much for taking the time and sharing so much of your journey, your story, your family history as well, and your day-to-day -day challenges that you are facing with such good humor and, and such a bright spirit. And please tell people how to find Pinole Blue the range of products that you have, uh, your social media, email, you know, how can they reach if they want to sell, if they want to buy. So go ahead. Yeah. So first of all, thank you so much for taking the time for this interview. And I'm glad you enjoyed my story. Most people, I think, think we're like multi-million dollar business. And I just decided to help this community and everything's uh, chocolates and roses. But no, it's definitely not, not been like that. It's, it's been a very interesting story. It's definitely hard to be an entrepreneur when you're a broke recent college graduate. But I love it. I, I, I definitely want to take it back for anything. Um, here I am being a crazy, I just turned 25, 25-year-old 25 grinding corn for the rest of my life. But it's definitely been worth it. So for our social media, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's at Pinole Blue. Pinole is P-I-N-O-L-E and Blue, B-L-U-E. As you can guess, why is it called Pinole Blue? It's because we use only organic blue corn. Uh, our Instagram, we made a separate page for our tortillas because people were wondering why the heck are we sharing tortilla pictures with when we're a Pinole business. So it's called at Pinole Blue Tortillas. You can check out all the cool recipes. Uh, we have tons of social media influencers that have done some cool stuff. You can go to www.pinoleblue.com. You can check out our stuff, our story. If you go on YouTube, just type in Pinole Blue. You can find all our videos. Uh, we have tons of videos on Facebook and Instagram. The email is contact at pinoleblue.com. And then the cell phone, the number is listed on our website and everything. And well, so we are on Amazon, but we're only shipping here in the United States. But if you go to pinoleblue.com, we have a online retail store too, where we can ship to you because here in the US we offer free shipping. But if you go on there and order and you pay for the extra shipping, we have no problem shipping it. We've actually shipped stuff to a lot of people, uh, people in Germany, New Zealand, Australia. We're in 18 different states. We're in Chicago. We got a place in LA, we got some places in Arizona, uh, New Mexico, Kansas, Nebraska, Colorado, even Wyoming, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota. As I mentioned, you can go to pinoleblue.com, check us out on Amazon. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention, Rocio, is we even have a bar, there's a bar now in Phoenix, Arizona called the Charro Hipster Bar and Cafe, and they are making uh, mezcal shots with pinole. And I must say, that might be one of my favorite drinks as well with the pinole. I should have mentioned that one. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll have to go to Phoenix to try that one. That's amazing. That that probably is a combo I would have never thought about. Eddie, I want to thank you again. I wish you nothing but the best for you, for your company, and for everyone that works with you. And, and thank you again for everything. It's been a pleasure. No, thank you so much, Rocio, for taking time for, to do this. 
And thank you for being able to listen to our story. And I'm glad we were able to work together. Let's make a commitment to keep sharing all your new adventures to keep people up to date. And, and I hope you get a lot of new loyal customers after, after this interview. I really hope that. So uh, all the best again. And good night, Eddie. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by me, Rocío Carvajal. If you want to get the books and check the videos and other recommendations that Eddie and I mentioned today, and of course, all the range of products of Pinole Blue, please check this episode's notes. There is also a YouTube version for those who prefer that, and you can check it on the podcast's YouTube channel. If you love the show, you can help me continue delivering delicious stories to you by supporting my work and purchasing my ebooks, recommending my work to a friend, and even by making a donation via buymeacoffee.com. Find all the links on this episode's notes or go to passagepotter.com. Send me a shout on social media, Instagram, and Twitter, or drop me a line to hello at passagepotter.com. All the links, of course, are on this episode's notes. Well, that's it for me, my friends. Until the next time. <laughs>